If you're a founder, you know that fundraising is a big part of the job. What you might not know is that Carta is there to help. Carta's new fundraising suite provides startups of all stages the best tools and support to easily issue safes, accurately forecast solution, and quickly close funding rounds. Save time, money, and make your next round your best yet. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. Welcome to Inc.'s The Founders Project with Alexa Von Tobel. I'm Alexa, the founder of LearnVest, author of New York Times bestselling book, Financially Fearless, and second book, Financially Forward. I'm also the founder and managing partner of Inspired Capital, a venture firm focused on the entrepreneurs of the future. Each week, we sit down with a top founder to share their story of guts, inspiration, and drive. Hi, everybody. I'm your host, Alexa Von Tobel, and this week, I'm excited for you to meet Josh Tetrick, co-founder and CEO of Eat Just, Inc., a food technology company with a mission to build a healthier, safer, and more sustainable food systems for our lifetime. Eat Just's expertise from functionalizing plant proteins to culturing animal cells is powered by a world-class team of scientists and chefs spanning more than a dozen research disciplines. Eat Just created America's fastest growing egg brand, which is made entirely of plants and the world's first market meat made from animal cells instead of slaughtered livestock. Prior to Eat Just, Josh led a United Nations business initiative in Kenya and worked for both former President Clinton and Liberian President Ellen Johnson, certainly. As a Fulbright scholar, Josh taught school children in Nigeria and South Africa and is a graduate of Cornell University and the University of Michigan Law School. Josh has been named one of Fast Company's most creative people in business, Inc.'s 35 under 35 and Fortune's 40 under 40. And with that, I'm so excited to welcome Josh. Um, Josh, I've been really excited to chat with you for a number of reasons, but I want to go back to those early days in 2011 when you decided to break out and start a food technology company and really reimagine the egg. Go back to those early days. What was going through your head and why? Why did you decide to take this on? I think there were a few things. One is I didn't want to have a normal everyday desk job. Uh, So I grew up wanting to be a professional football player. I grew up in Birmingham, Alabama. So I was always wanting something a little bit different. Second is um, my best friend, the co-founder of the company, wouldn't let me do anything else. So he kept, more than anyone else, pushing me to open up my eyes to what our food system actually is, not the idyllic old McDonald had a farm vision of it, but what eggs actually are, what chicken and beef actually are, where it comes from. And I was just at a place in my life where I couldn't procrastinate about getting a a real job any longer. I needed to figure out a way to to have that next version of, I want to play in the NFL in my life and do something really meaningful. So we were thinking about where we would start. And it turns out that the chicken egg is the most widely consumed animal protein. So about 2 trillion eggs were laid last year. So we thought, what, what would it look like if we founded a company on this idea of making a better version of an egg? Instead of using a chicken, what if we could use a plant? Um, I had about $3,000 in my bank account. I had, um, thankfully, an ex-girlfriend who let me hang out on her couch for six months, but that was her, her limit, six months. Um, <laughs> and we got rolling. 
Sounds like a nice ex-girlfriend, by the way. She's she's pretty awesome. What was the moment where you were like, this could be a business and this could work? When did your mm. like the lights go off? Was it 2012, 2013? Was uh, it before you really got started? But how did you know that you could make a synthetic egg out of plants uh, that people would buy? I'll, I'll start with the last question. This idea, I mean, at the end of the day, we can make lots of cool stuff, but if people don't buy it, it's just irrelevant stuff. So my idea on consumers and food is people um, generally will do good if all things are equal, if taste, texture, cost are equal. They want food that tastes really good. They want food that makes them feel good. They want it to be accessible. And if we could figure out a way to make the egg fit into that, um, an egg from a plant fit into that, or real meat that doesn't require slaughter an animal fit into that, they'll eat it. But it was a bet. There's no surveys we could do to get people to give us really an indication whether it would actually work. But I think it became a real business probably when we got our first investment. We got a half million dollar check from Coastal Ventures, Vinod Coastal and, and Samir Cole were the people we talked to over there. And they took a bet on the company, I think, for the same reason that I that we founded it, that if you look at the system of how meat, eggs, and milk are produced, and let's say you're you're not us, but you're an alien looking from above the planet, and you're trying to sort out how does this planet called Earth feed itself? And then you find out that a third of this planet is dedicated to planting soy and corn to feed the animals we eat. And then you find out that some of the most virulent diseases are caused by putting animals in tight spaces called zoonotic diseases. And then you find out this thing called climate change is actually accelerated by the animals we eat more than all the transportation sources combined. Well, you begin to think, what the hell is going on down there? And from uh, from a VC perspective, and you know, as I think from a business perspective, there's an enormous amount of opportunity to create a business that is changing how that works. And we wanted to start with the egg because people get up in the morning and have an egg and then eventually get into get into meat. You have built the fastest growing egg brand in the United States in a really short period of time. I want to go to you cracking the code on figuring out that mung beans, which mm. I knew what mung beans were, would actually make just egg, the just egg experience akin to eating a proper chicken egg. You just told me you wanted to be an NFL football player. And how did you guys go and crack that code to figure out that this could work? Uh, so we're in December 2011. Now I'm still on my ex-girlfriend Jill's couch. And the first question that got the company up and running was, can we find a plant that scrambles like an egg? Because we knew we wanted to make, to make the egg better. We didn't want to use all these animals. And all we knew that there are 400,000 species of plants. We didn't know if one of them can make an egg. And when we say make an egg, specifically what I'm talking about is, imagine that egg that you eat every morning. You crack it, and you put it in a pan, and then it scrambles. And the food science term for that is gel. And it typically gels, and you probably haven't counted down the seconds like we do. It gels at about 45 to 47 seconds. And it turns into that what you know to be that scramble, those nice curves, that texture that you enjoy, that so many people enjoy. So our job was to find a, a protein within a plant that would also do that. 
So we started bringing lots of things. We brought in grains and beans. And I was personally the head of procurement at the time. So I would order stuff from all over the world, from India, from South Africa, from across Eastern Europe. And it would come first to Jill's apartment and then to our little garage that we moved into. And we had some food scientists and biochemists in the early days, and we would test them. And by test, I mean, we would take a bean, we would remove the protein from it, and then we'd put it in a pan. And every time we would test it, we would get more or less the same result. One of two things would happen. One is it would evaporate. Or two is it would be this gooey, not very appetizing looking mushy substance that definitely didn't look like an egg. So we we were frustrated and we there were still hundreds of thousands of plants we'd never tried. So we decided that we'll approach this in a much more data-driven way. And we started to catalog the molecular uh, properties and connect those molecular properties with certain functional aspects, like does it scramble in a pan? And all that did for us, to keep it simple, is instead of looking at hundreds of thousands, we could narrow the the subset to under 10,000. So then we started searching. And then finally, we found this bean called the mung bean that I had never even heard of when we found it. It's been in the food... Yeah, that's been in the food system for 4,000 years. Wow. It is um, eaten all across India, Southeast Asia. And it turns out that the mung bean has a storage protein inside of it. Then when you remove it, scrambles like an egg. So if we were hanging out right now and you didn't know that I had moved your egg from a shell away and I poured in the pan, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. So it gels at the same time temperature builds the textures, the curves. Then we had probably the most challenging technical problem in the company's history. We didn't know how to actually scale that. We found it, but we couldn't really figure out how to get it out to the market and sell it. And that, uh, you know, that was, that was a problem. You literally took me to my next question. You are today sold in places like Target and Walmart, and I've seen you on many, many, many shelves. How the heck did you do that? How did you get to a point where, again, you finally went through 400,000 plant species, found the one that's been around for 4,000 years that scrambles in 45 yeah. seconds, but then you had to figure out how to go build this into a product that people will eat and get comfortable with. So uh, where'd you start? Well, the hardest part before we even get to how we get got into the retailers is we could do it in the pan in the lab. But our big problem was when we tried to then do it at scale, meaning bring those beans into a facility that would separate protein from those beans. So just imagine you have a whole bunch of beans, you take the beans and you need to mill them into a flour, the same way you would mill anything into a flour. And then you take that flour and what we want to do is spin it at the high rates of speed. So the protein separates from the other stuff, which is fiber, fat, and starch. But we need to do it in such a way that the protein retains most of its functionality. So I didn't understand how complex that was going to be at scale. You know, I had a, I had a number of blind spots, but that was probably the biggest. Not understanding that what you can do in the lab is not the same thing as what you can do at scale. So then it was about getting it out there. So then it was about moving and seeing if um, retailers were open to taking it in. Um, so we pitched to, to Hy-Vee and Whole Foods and the Publix and Kroger. And the simple way that we would pitch it is people like eggs. People like to eat a little bit healthier. This doesn't have any cholesterol. It has 67% less saturated fat. It tastes really good. Give it a go. 
Hy-Vee was the first retailer to take it. And today we're in every, essentially every major retail in the United States, except for our friends at Trader Joe's, who I'm hoping are listening to this podcast now. <laughs> Trader Joe's. <laughs> Come on, Trader Joe's. Come on, Trader Joe's. Come on, Trader Joe's. Um, Josh, what you just described pretty crazy, which is, you know, as I said in the intro, your background, you know, you've done a lot of things. You clearly are a really resilient human. Um, you know, you graduated from Cornell University and you know, University of Michigan Law School, but you're not a chemist. You haven't built a manufacturing site. You had to do something that's pretty complicated. And it took you a while. Was there a moment where you got really demoralized through it all, where you really said to yourself, like, I don't know if the heck, like, I mean, in retrospect, you're now in every store in the country, except Trader Joe's, which will get them in there quickly. And it's worked. But there was clearly a period of a number of years where you probably went to bed at night and said, I don't know if we're going to be able to figure this out. Walk us through a little bit of your mindset of what got you through that. Well, I think a few things got me through it. I didn't understand entrepreneurship at all growing up. Um, I didn't really understand that entrepreneurship was a thing. I'm 42 today. I didn't understand entrepreneurship was a thing until I was 30. So, you know, one thing that got me through it is other than being a professional football player, I just can't imagine doing anything else. Um, This thing, you know, that we legally call a company that does this thing that I believe in requires all of me. It requires all of my creativity and all of my integrity and the full bits of me it requires. And, and I like being fully engaged in that way. So one is I just couldn't imagine doing anything else. So there's a, a fear that comes from losing the thing that you, you feel so connected to. I think the second thing is, um, you know, I, I really believe that we should cause less harm in our lives that we, we should try to figure out a way to, to have food that reflects the best of us that is not causing all these things that we all don't want. I deeply feel connected to that. And I want my, my life to be focused around fixing that. And, you know, the way that I really learned to deal with a lot of hardship and we've dealt with a, a lot of hardship is put your head down and focus on doing the work. Affordability was a massive piece of the puzzle. Um, because as you said, most people in the world would love to eat healthier and be better for the planet. But if you can't make it affordable, it's really hard to do that. And I know you obsessed over that. Talk a little bit about how you actually made it affordable because eggs are relatively inexpensive. How'd you pull that off? Well, we still have a long way to go. I mean, ultimately, where we want to take this is we want to have an egg that is the lowest cost egg that is the healthiest egg that is the most sustainable egg that is the best tasting egg and we think we can make that from a plant that's where the focus is so today our price at let's say a walmart is right around what you would find kind of a higher end cage-free egg to be in the 45 to 50 cents an egg um the cheapest eggs out there are 15 to 20 cents um and we brought down our price significantly since we launched in um, in late 2018. But we have a way to go. Um, and, you know, the way to, to deal with coming down the cost curve is um, to just break down the elements. And for us, the elements start with the bean. The bean is a significant percent of our cost. So if we want a lower cost today, we better have a lower cost bean. So we built relationship farmers and signed longer term agreements to get the price down. Um, 
we've got to figure out a way to separate the protein from the bean, not in a way that is sort of overly fancy, but the way that is maximal maximizing the protein that we can get out of it in a way that it retains its functionality. So we've designed a process there to be really efficient. And the third thing that we need to do that we haven't done yet is take advantage of the rest of the bean. So the bean is more than protein. It's the fiber and the starch and the fat, and we don't do anything with that now. So our next step to drive the costs down lower is to do something with it, to figure out a way to sell that also. And uh, thankfully, I got I got a few people working hard on that project today. <laughs> That's awesome. I think that more countries will realize that building a resilient food system, one is one that's not at the whims of a war in Ukraine or a, another drought in some faraway place. I think that'll become increasingly important. And I think a country's want to be a, build a more resilient food system will be a real accelerant to this. And probably the thing that I think about, you know, I think about most, um, Alexis, I think we're headed towards a much sustainer, kinder food system. But the real big question is, is that going to be a food system that we're going to see in our lifetimes? Or is that going to be a food system that's going to take another 500 years? And the difference has, you know, real big ramifications for the kind of the kind of world that we live in. Um, so we, uh, we want it to happen a lot faster. And we'll be right back after a message from our sponsors. Alexa here. Not only do I get the opportunity to speak with all types of founders on, for starters, but I'm a repeat founder myself. We all know how vital fundraising is to a startup. Carta knows this too. That's why they had founders in mind when they created their fundraising suite, providing tools and support to take the friction out of fundraising. They save founders time and money, allowing you to focus on your goals, not the admin work needed to close around. From simply issuing safes to quickly receiving funds, Carta Fundraising Suites helps their cap table customers raise a better fundraising round. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. I want to quickly transition to you, Josh, because you're a pretty cool guy, uh, right? Wanted to go into the NFL, uh, have accomplished on, on many vectors a, a ton of pretty powerful success. I want to ask the question, which is if you could pinpoint something growing up that you think you kind of, you can give the credit to, and it could be somebody in your family or something that they did when you were younger, but like, what do you think happened in your youth that helped make you so special? I think that having this dream that didn't come true of wanting to play in the NFL, if not for that, I, I wouldn't be doing this because, you know, growing up, I thought it was about the NFL. I thought it actually was about that particular objective. But, you know, now that I look back at it, it, it wasn't actually about the NFL. It was about having a, a place to orient my life. It was about having a place to learn how to, to be a better human being. It was about having a place to learn the kind of discipline that I used every day. It was about learning how to work for something that's always a little bit out of your reach, right? And they have to keep really pressing and straining hard for. Um, it was about learning to deal with hardship and forget when you get knocked down and you don't need to remember that on the next place. So I think that whole process to me was just so fundamental in 
getting me in this place. And and if there was a, a second thing, it's it was probably um, you know, I grew up in a, a relatively poor environment um for for the US. And uh I wanted to figure out a way to to do something different. I wanted to figure out a way to have a little bit more uh a little bit more opportunity. But it was the I think more than anything, getting obsessed with that process of being an athlete was the thing that if I didn't have, I wouldn't be here. One of my favorite things that I learned about you was obviously when you were in law school, you were diagnosed with a heart condition, but that you you apparently have a reminder on your phone uh, that literally says every morning, prepare to die today. And in a crazy way, I think I appreciate how beautiful of a reminder that that is. Like, I find that actually a pretty beautiful prism to, to start your life every single morning. Tell us a little bit about how that changed just your trajectory of managing stress, or it's probably been pretty profound on the ability to like take a punch at work. I'm <laughs> uh, going through what you've been through. Yeah. Um, you know, I, um, through the years I've, I've used different variations of uh, the prepare to, to die uh, deal today every morning when I wake up is today the day. And um, maybe that's a, a softer way of saying prepare to die. But I, I like is today the day because I want to write it down because it causes me to focus on it. And I, I like asking the question um, because asking if this is the last day that I'm going to live really helps to focus one's mind on being the kind of being the kind of person that I want to be. So I um I do think about death quite a bit. And I think this whole hypertrophic cardiomyopathy thing that I had to deal with probably helped me focus on it a little bit more than I otherwise would have. But I I really think the thing that is the most important thing that all of us have such a hard time, including me remembering, is how fleeting life is. And I really, really want to avoid a situation in which I feel that way on truly the last day of my life. When I was in college, I worked in the happiness lab at Harvard and which was like, mm. you know, I, my mom was like, what is this made up thing that you're studying? And they taught you that people in their nineties never regret a single thing they did at the end of your life. When you reflect mm. only regret the things you don't do. And it's a pretty interesting way that your memory works, which is you don't care about the mistakes or the time you fell down or kissed the boy or did the thing. You care about the swings that you didn't take and they become mm. clear then. And so I always joke, nine-year-old Alexa is a tough cookie and she sits right here um, and mm. is a very good reminder for your life. Um, so maybe I'll send you an alert, mm. the next reminder for, for when you get rid of that phrase. Um, I actually, I actually like that. I mean, that's I could turn that instead of what would it look like today's the day. Like, what would it, what would he say? And he being the ninety year old version of myself, I think that ninety year old version of myself would would probably have some good advice for how I should be living my seconds that I should listen to. I think that's really that's a really compelling frame. He's a gem. I can't wait to hang out with that Josh. <laughs> he's he's going to have some some great content. I'm pumped about that guy. Um, <laughs> I want to just ask one uh, last question, and then we'll quickly yeah. do a quick fire round. Which is, I read that your your favorite advice to other entrepreneurs is basically any advice you're going to get is wrong. <laughs> um, you just have to chart your own path, um, and it's really clear that that is 
who who you have been. But when you are completely charting an unknown path, like back in 2011, deciding that you're going to reimagine the egg from mung beans, is there anything else that you hold sacred in those times that like really outside of just the fact that you could die at any time, but is there anything else that just kind of keeps you really a moment of inspiration, a motivation, something else that helps you just really come out? It's courage at its core, but is there anything else, any other advice you would give? I think for folks, um, for folks listening to this and thinking about whether you want to be an entrepreneur, the, the first thing that I would share, and it, it's just the most important thing, is there are a lot of kinds of companies you can start, um, a lot of kinds of companies you can be successful starting. Um, but, but think about what it would look like to start a company that, if it was successful, would solve a real problem something that really bothers you, something that you're really angry about, something that you know, maybe it's, it's hard to look at, maybe makes you a little nauseous even, that it's still in this world. It's so hard to build a company. And I think um, since we do have a lot of choices about the kinds of companies that we could start, think about the, the pain out there. Think about the things that would really move you, the kinds of things that if you couldn't post about it, if you couldn't tell your friends about it, if you couldn't um, impress a, a boy or a girl about it, that you just would feel like it's something that is is you and something that you want to commit your life to. I would do that. Second thing that I would say is you better expect that lots of hardship's going to happen. So just get it in your head right now. Don't be shocked when it happens. Um, don't run around like the world is ending. Know what's going to happen and know what's going to pass. If you put your head down, you do a good job. Those are the two things that I would say. Josh, I want to quickly go to the quick fire rounds. First thing that comes to mind, just answer, spit out whatever, whatever. Cool. First, just what gets you into bed every day? Usually my golden retriever pawing me in my face. What's a favorite book that you've read of any category that you really come back to time and time again? A favorite book that I come back to is a book called um, Eating Animals by Jonathan Safran Foer. And he talks about how the food that we eat is an expression of who we are. Um, and I think he does a beautiful job connecting um, food and story and culture in a way that I, I hadn't seen before. That's awesome. Best interview question. So if you're going to figure out mm. somebody, what do you ask them? only get one talk to me about how you deal with really hard things and if their sentiment is they haven't dealt with a lot of hard things either personally or professionally they're definitely not for us i like it uh your biggest pinch me moment to date at eat just where you just came home and said i can't believe we pulled that off what was it it was december 20th 2020 when um, we sold the first ever real meat that didn't require slaughtering an animal in Singapore to five young people. I was in Boulder, Colorado. Um, someone had a, a FaceTime um, at the table and I saw them eating it and I had someone take a picture of the receipt and send it to me. That was, uh, that, was that moment. Last question is other than Eat Just, is there any other 
category of innovation or a startup or something that you've just gotten excited about in the last six to 12 months? Yeah. My buddy, Alexis, had this idea called Sexy Beans. And she she's so frustrated that beans have this like boring reputation. Um, you know, here I am, you know, we're investing hundreds of millions of dollars to make egg from plants and real meat without slaughter. But meanwhile, we could we could also just eat a lot of beans. Um, really good for us, really good for the environment. So her idea is, you know, make them sexy, like just brand the hell out of beans and get young people excited about all that you can do with beans. And I thought um, it's an awesome idea for a company. And if I wasn't doing this, I'd probably go after that. I love it. Thank you. You just made my day, by the way. I'm never going to think of a bean as a boring <laughs> ever again. It's officially sexy beans. Um, Josh, thank you so much for joining us today. Everybody out there, if you've not already checked out Eat Just, please do. Please buy it on all your shelves and ask Trader Joe's why they don't have it on just yet. Um, What's going on, Trader Joe's? <laughs> Come on, Trader Joe's. How many eggs from plants do we need to sell to get just egg on your shelf? You'll get there. I have absolutely no doubt that you will get there. Um, but thank you. This has been an absolute joy and delight. We are rooting for you. Continue making the world a better place. And mm. uh, just what a truly fun interview. So thank you so much. Thanks, Alexa.